This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how is things? Not bad at all, mate. Not bad. Wednesday winning on Saturday. Just finished work for a week, so all is well in my life at the minute. How about you? Good, thanks. Apart from I botched that intro and said I was going to go with how are you and how are things and went with how's of things, which... Oh, was... well. I didn't take yeah. any notice. Let's see if anybody else picks up on it. They probably wouldn't until I just doubted myself Until, then. yep. Well, you're to blame. But yes, I'm all good. I'm on a, a period of annual leave as well, given the international break, um, which we briefly touched on last week. I don't know why, because no one, no one will care, so I don't know why we're talking about it. But um, So yeah, uh, not too bad. Went to London for the weekend, see some friends, uh, just got home now, and I'm excited to spend an hour or so in your fine company talking about the championship um, at the 10-game mark. It'll be a good opportunity on this week's pod to as well as talking about some recent events, um, also talking and, and, and reflecting on 10 games gone. It's been a busy old two months at the start of this season, so uh, nice to pause and, and take a break and just have a little look at things and where we're at. So, as always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A big thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, please make sure you visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure to go and check them out. And as we touched on a second ago, this week's podcast will be reviewing the exit of Paul Warren at Rotherham United and also talking about some of the vacancies that remain unfilmed at Huddersfield Town and uh, Cardiff City as well. And we'll also be doing a bit of a debrief on the opening 10 match days of the championship season. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, Judge, we are going to start with Rotherham United and Paul Warren. His exit confirmed this week. He has joined Derby County in League One with Rotherham sat eighth, certainly at the pinnacle of his tenure at the New York Stadium with, with the Millers comfortably in the top half of the championship table after 10 games. It's definitely the, the, the best they've been under him. It's been six emotional years, a bit of a roller coaster with three promotions and three relegations. A job that he didn't even want and had to be talked into by Tony Stewart, as we've all heard the, the story many times. But he's joined on a contract till 2026, which you've got to think has obviously played a part in this. The the financial security of, of a big contract at Derby. His contract at Rotherham, I believe, was at, was running out at the end of this season, albeit I'm sure Rotherham would have loved to have signed him up to a fresh one, especially after promotion last year. But I think from Paul Warren's point of view, I don't think it's unfair to say that it's a move we understand. And I think it's a move, particularly in terms of players, but now managers too, we are seeing increasingly where there's that many big clubs in League One that even a team that's more stable potentially on the pitch, with the greatest respect to Rotherham United, their ceiling is probably mid-table security in the championship. And with Derby County, albeit they've been through absolute turmoil, of course, over the last few years, but they they could be a Premier League club if you get things right. And that is the gamble these managers take. And I think, had this been two years into Paul Warren's tenure at Rotherham United, I don't think he would have gone. But I think probably after six years, after some struggles in the transfer market, particularly in the summer. I still stand by, I think this squad is weaker than it was last season. And that's not a sustainable um, method of, of trying to get success ultimately. It's not sustainable for Paul Warren having to comp- continually overachieve and overachieve to get the most out of a group of players because things will go stale. He'll lose that intensity at some point. And so I can understand why he's made this move personally, albeit it's come a, a little bit of a surprise with initially links to Huddersfield, of course. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't think he would move for Huddersfield. I thought there was a better job out there for him if he waited a little bit longer. I didn't expect it to be like three days later and, and him end up moving to Pride Park. But I think maybe some would say the timing is a little bit surprising, but I'm not shocked particularly that this move has happened, George. No, I'm not. But at the same time, I think it's, you know, it's come as a shock to Rotherham's fans, hasn't it? Obviously, with the 
the start to the season that they've had, it feels like that they're really onto something. Well, we're onto something under Paul Warren, and all of a sudden now he's gone, and it it's a bit of a strange one because it's just it's one of those things where you can't actually imagine Paul Warren managing another club. It's really strange. It's it's almost like Darren Ferguson's connection with Peterborough United, isn't it? And I'm I am still convinced one day Paul Warren will end up back at Rotherham. I really do think that will happen. But yeah, it's it's a huge loss for for the Millers. It really is, and he. He's done a terrific job over the last few years, even though there's obviously been a few relegations littered in there. But he's got them into the Championship. And this time, it seems like they were massively punching above their weight. They've had a brilliant start to the season. With, like you said, a squad that is arguably weaker than last year. They've lost some key personnel in the summer. I know Rotherham fans have tried to play it down, losing two of the most important players to, you know, a near neighbour in Sheffield Wednesday, losing Michael Heckwood and Michael Smith. But they were both massively important in that promotion push last year. So, you know, they've not had much luck in the transfer market. The recruitment, even though obviously it's not impacted them so far this season with the brilliant start they've made, and we have waxed lyrical about them in recent weeks, it is a case of, is it a bit of a honeymoon period for Rotherham where it's not going to continue in the same vein? And all of a sudden now we are asking the question, is it going to continue? Because without Paul Warren, without their master, without their leader, you know, how are things going to go? I think it's very similar to Huddersfield Town and Blackpool in the sense of losing Corbran and Critchley. They've lost their best asset, Rotherham United. It's a huge loss. And I think for Rotherham fans, even though you've mentioned there about the pulling power of Derby, it's a big historic club and they will have aspirations of getting promotion this season. And like you said, over the long term, they will have ambitions to get back to the Premier League. But when Rotherham fans look at it, they will say, we've lost our manager to a League One club. And and you can understand that thought. You really can. There's a chance that financial true. financial That's situation is... It is, but... You know, they are going to look at it and they are going to think it is a downgrade in their eyes, which it is in terms of club position at the minute. But like you said, Derby's long-term aim is probably greater than Rotherham's respective long-term ambitions. So for Paul Warren, he's gone to Derby now and chances are he's picked up a bigger packet in terms of in terms of his wage. And for Rotherham, it's obviously unfortunate that they've not been able to, you know, possibly adhere to his demands. Tony Stewart's faced quite a lot of criticism in the last few days, in the sense that he's not doing enough to back Paul Warren in the transfer market. And I think that is a fair argument. Rotherham, even though they're never going to be able to spend millions and millions and millions of pounds, you do get this, the feeling that Tony Stewart could have done more to support his manager, who, you know, has delivered whenever he's been asked to. So, in that sense, I can see Rotherham fans' point of view, they are going to be massively gutted about losing him because Paul Warren. For me, I think he's one of the most respected managers out there. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a Rotherham fan to, to like Paul Warren, let's be honest. He, he's one of the good guys in football. He's a really down-to-earth, normal fella. And I think the one thing that struck me throughout his Rotherham tenure and what Derby fans will probably soon find out is the fact that he treats his, his players not just as footballers, but as human beings. You can tell he wants to know about the person rather than just the footballer. And that's what I like about him. He's a people person. He's down to earth. And he's just normal in my eyes. He doesn't think he's something he's not. So for Rotherham, it's an absolutely enormous loss. It really is. But for Derby, potentially a massive, massive gain. It's a real coup for them, I think, for me. And I would expect them to kick on in League One. They've had the the most brilliant of starts, even though it's been far from bad. They will, you know, be looking to push through the table as weeks go by. But for Rotherham, attention now turns to who's next and when you think about what Paul Warren's done and what he was doing this season, big shoes to fill, in my opinion, because he was Mr. Rotherham United, wasn't he? I agree. On the plus side from Rotherham, there are there are positives still, obviously. They're sat eighth in the table. They are probably the most attractive proposition they've been for the last six years for someone to come in and, and hit the ground running. They've kept their, albeit they've lost all the, the backroom staff that's gone with Paul Warren, they've kept the head of recruitment, Rob Scott, who was in charge over the summer uh, in terms of bringing in some very good bits of business. You know, Cameron Humphreys has done really well coming in. Cohen Brammel's done well on the left side at left wing back as well. Obviously, there's been some good recruitment over the years at Rotherham United. Rob Scott is staying, so that's something good for Rotherham United fans and, and the players they picked up. Norton Cuffey was a very good signing on loan uh, from Arsenal as well in the, in the summer. So there's, there's players that have come in and affected this side. So there's no reason... To think that that aspect will will fall off a cliff now. Paul Warner's gone, and as I say, I think they probably are the most attractive they've been for someone else to come in in Paul Warner's six years. And 
undoubtedly he has left the club in a better place than he picked it up. When we look at the sort of candidates that are linked and the sort of brief that Tony Stewart has set out in the local media of what he's looking for, Dean Holden is the heavy favourite and someone that has been linked in a way that, as someone that works in the industry, screams to me that there's quite a lot of inside info saying that Rotherham would like him. So that is someone that I think... Not only, I can understand why he's his favourites because the sort of people that are talking about in the way of talking in journalistic terms make me think that that's definitely some people close to the club that are saying he's someone they like. Gareth Ainsworth, his second favourite. Paul Hurst, who's someone, of course, I know very well, having covered Grimsby Town last year. Um, he's doing a brilliant job with the Mariners in League Two and he's been linked as well as Mark Bonner at Cambridge United. Another really good story of a, a young manager who's come in and, and lifted a club from you know, bottom half relegation zone in League Two to, to all the way to being a, a cons, you know a solid uh, consolidated League One club. So I think Dean Holden, from the noises that are being put out there, certainly seems like a, a fit. Obviously, didn't have the best of time with Bristol City as number one, but equally didn't do an awful job. And, and from what I hear and from what we, we've seen when he's also been involved with Stoke, of course, most recently and, and left the club when Michael O'Neill left, I think he's a really good coach. It's just developing those skills to be a number one. And I think Rotherham United is probably the club where you can do that. I think Paul Warren's probably a perfect example of that. He was a fitness coach who obviously developed more than that um, even before he got the job. And... They brought out good qualities in him. And I think he's got all the raw attributes that I could see him fitting in very nicely there. I think he's a better fit than than Gareth Ainsworth, potentially. I think he may have made... Has he missed his chance to have jumped ship? I think maybe the summer was the time for him. Paul Hurst, I think, would be a risk considering him going to Ipswich and how badly that went. And let's not... You know, he was in non-league with Grimsby last year. I do think he's a very good manager. I think he's probably a a League One manager with as his natural level with, with a point to prove that he could be a championship manager. But I think it's more likely that he'd be at a League One club and take them up to get back in the championship personally. And I think if I was Rotherham United, the names I like, I like Dean Holden, I like Mark Bonner, who I think has been there and proven himself. So they would be the two I would be looking at that seem realistic options for Rotherham United. What about yourself? Yeah, I think, I think Holden fits the bill. I really do. And... And, you know, it's a strange one with Dean Holden because, obviously, the Bristol City job he got permanently after a spelling caretaker charge. And, obviously, he knew the club, he knew the players, he was a familiar figure. And then he went to Stoke, obviously, he teamed up with Michael O'Neill, had, obviously, a very, very brief spelling temporary charge there. So, I think Rotherham, in a way, would be an opportunity for him to say, look, this is my opportunity to lay down a marker in my managerial career and make a club my own. Where, obviously, Bristol City, obviously, he's had the job full-time, it was his gig. But it was also slightly in the shadow was, of Lee Johnson because there was a yeah, little bit of, if, exactly. I don't know if you remember about this, but there was a sort of six to eight week process of recruiting a new manager and they ended up going with Lee yeah. Johnson's assistant and it was very yeah. unpopular at the time. Not necessarily exactly. because of Dean Holden, but because of the fact they'd done this extensive research yeah. and just yeah. gone for the guy who was in situ anyway. So yeah. I think was that the... was held against him and then he was number two at Stoke, obviously. So this would be a good opportunity to lay down a mark, as mm. you, you were just saying. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think it's an opportunity, you know, for him to go in a fresh set of eyes to look over the situation and, you know, potentially take the club forward. Because Dean Holden, I mean, he, he's 43 now. He's a very young manager in this day and age, but he's also got plenty of experience. He's been in management for nearly 10 years because he had spells at Oldham as assistant and then permanent boss. He had a spell as assistant at Walsall. Then he had four year, uh, five years at Bristol City as assistant and permanent boss. So, you know, there is plenty of experience in there, but he's never really had a job with a long-term vision, so to speak. Obviously, Bristol City, going back to that point, yeah, he did have it on a permanent base. But like you said, he was kind of almost shoehorned into the role because he was there. He was already waiting in the wings. Mm. So I think for him, he, he would be a good fit because his record, to be fair, at championship level, it, it makes decent reading. It's not bad at all, really. But other, other names on the list that you've mentioned there, Gareth Ainsworth being one, like you've said, I, has he missed the opportunity to, to move on to a bigger club? Personally, I think, yeah. When you look at, obviously, Wickham, the last couple of years, they were in the Championship two seasons ago. They got to the League One playoff final last year. They just missed out to Sunderland this season. I think they're 19th in the league after the first 10 games. His stock is on the decline with, with results mirroring that. So, 
Personally, I think Dean Holden would be the better one of the two who are leading the race. Paul Hurst, for me, it's a big no. I think after what happened at Ipswich, I think he's shown that he is better in the lower reaches of English football. I don't mean that with any disrespect to him. I think for the benefit of his own career, I think he'd be better staying at Grimsby and continuing what, what good job he's doing there. I agree. But other names, on, other names on the list that I'm looking at in front of me now are Duncan Ferguson, Michael Carrick. They, they're unrealistic. And personally, I think Holden would be a better shout than that, than those two at the minute. So I think all the pointers and all the you know the suggestions to, to go with Dean Holden do make sense. I think he'd be a good fit. But it's just a case of how quickly can they get it done because obviously it's been, you know, not quite a week since Paul Warren went. They're probably going to step up the interviews this week, uh, as we record on Sunday afternoon. And then obviously the season resumes next Saturday. So if they want to get somebody in by that game and get a couple of couple of training sessions under the belt with the new manager, they've got to get, you know, their act together quite quickly. So I do think there is a bit of pressure on Tony Stewart to, to act fast, but at the same time he's got to get it right because I don't think it can be a situation where you know you want somebody just on a whim for a, a few months and it goes wrong. You want to think about it and think long-term solutions. What's our long-term objective? Still, despite Rotherham being in the position they're in this season at the moment, their objective will remain survival. There's no doubt about that. If they if they stay up this season, that's a huge achievement. And saying that when they're sat eighth in the table after 10 games might seem a little bit ludicrous, but there is a long, long way to go. And we know how quickly things can change, especially when you've lost a manager you've had for six years. And we saw, didn't we, last year, just over the other side of South York, Sheffield United, they come out of that long spell with Chris Wilder. And obviously, Djokanovic just couldn't get things going at all. So it's it's shown that when you've been under one regime for so many years, it does take time to adjust. So Rotherham have got to be prepared for that and got to realise that things aren't going to, you know, instantly be probably as successful as they were unless Holden comes in or whoever comes in and hits the ground running at an amazing rapid rate or not. So I'm intrigued to see what Rotherham do, but I do think Dean Holden is a good shout. I think he fits the bill for what Rotherham need. And like I said, I think for him, it would be an opportunity for him to lay down his roots at a club and really make a name for himself in his managerial career. So potentially, looking at it, it could be a, quite a marriage, that one, that could work out. It could be a win-win for both. But for me, I think he is the, the best choice out there available but will they look to head down the route of poaching somebody from another club I doubt it but you can never say never This is the Championship Chat Podcast For the rest of this episode we're going to sort of look at the Championship season so far and the, and the 10 games gone we'll start at the top end of the table where Sheffield United and Norwich City have, have quite clearly been the best two teams in the division they're obviously top by by a couple of points how would you summarise their starts to the season? Particularly Norwich, I'm interested in. Sheffield United, I think, have been fairly consistent. For me, best side in the division. Norwich, interesting, having started obviously quite poorly with one winning, uh, sorry, with no wins in the first three and then winning um, six in a row. So, what have you made of them and what have you made of some of the runners or riders in and around them? Well, I think Norwich, out of the, the three that came down, obviously, from the Premier League last season, they were the best set to try and bounce back at the first attempt, obviously. They got the the stability of having the same manager in place in Dean Smith, who we know has proven himself at this record in the past, got promoted with Villa, did a very good job at Brentford. So you did look at them and you thought, yeah, they've got the necessary credentials to go again, even if the squad is not quite as strong as the last time they were in the Championship. And obviously, after that first three games when they lost at Cardiff didn't manage to beat Wigan at home, lost to Hull. You were thinking, are, are they missing a spark? And they don't really seem to be doing an awful lot in the transfer window. But then all of a sudden, they went on a run of six consecutive wins and announced their arrival. So they've done what you would expect of a team that you know wants promotion. To string six wins together in the Championship, I always say, regardless of whoever you are, that takes some doing because we know how ruthless and how unforgiving this league is. So for Norwich, that's really, really good. And they're yet to lose at home. So that's another added bonus that they've got. They've turned Carroll Road into a bit of a fortress early doors. So I think Norwich are doing what you would expect, even if they started slowly, came out of the traps a little bit slow. And let's not forget, they were bottom after the first three games. They were bottom of the league. So Dean Smith deserves credit for, you know, just picking the character up of the team because that must have been a little bit deflating being bottom when you've just come down from the Premier League as well. Obviously being in that constant rut of losing games. So for me, I think Norwich are ticking along nicely. They're doing what I expected. The only slight criticism I would have of them is I'd just like to see them be a little bit more ruthless. 
That's the only thing. A lot of their wins have been by one goal so far. But having said that, they've scored three in two of the last three games. So they are beginning to go up through the gears. So for Norwich, for me, I think they can be satisfied with the way they've started. They've recovered well from that, that little bit of a sluggish beginning at the very start of the season. And then in the last few weeks, I mean, it's really, really good. I mean, they've taken 19 points in the last 21. If you're doing that, you're onto something, that's for sure. As for those in and around them, obviously, you've touched on Sheffield United, current league leaders. For me, the most consistent team so far and the fact what they've done with the amount of injuries they've got in defence is, is remarkable, really, because they're scoring goals, I think the highest scorers in the league. They've kept, I think it's four clean sheets in a row. I was just looking you... at the, the numbers there and I, I not quite, I know they'd started well defensively, but they've only conceded five goals and we've been raving about Preston. They've conceded four. Sheffield United have scored five, but Sheffield United on the opposite end, they've scored the joint highest alongside Bristol City with 19. And I think that's what makes them look quite imperious given the injury problems as well, which have been added to during this international break with Anel Ahmed Hodzic. He's he's probably well out for for three or four weeks as well. Yeah, it's a it's a huge loss losing him because I mean I remember saying to you I watched the game when they beat Sunderland on Sky um, in mid August I think it was and that night he he scored both goals I think I think he scored both of them did he, he scored a header from a he, corner did he score the second or he got the assist for the I second it was one of the two I think he could I can't remember he certainly had a hand in both goals and I was, was absolutely part mate so I'm blessed this I knew that he was absolutely superb he was, he really caught my eyes so losing him on top of you know the likes of Jack O'Connell that's already out Jack Robinson Ben Osborne Ender Stevens the problems they've got at the back it's just it's just the worst look you could imagine but Paul Heckingbottom to his credit he's not panicked He's kept going with what he's got and they've recorded four successive clean sheets. And what's going to be interesting to see come this weekend is, did the international break come at the wrong time for Sheffield United just to, you know, get in the way of that momentum they developed? But we will see on that one. So the Blades Norwich looking very good. I've been impressed by Burnley early doors. I think there's definitely a lot, lot more to come from them. I've been impressed with the way Vincent Company's gone in there and not only obviously brought so many new faces in, transformed the style. Of, of what they've been playing for years under Sean Dyche. It's been a lot more vibrant, a lot more pleasing to watch. And then obviously in that top four, you've also got Reading, currently third, the biggest surprise package of them all. I just don't know if they have got what it takes to stay up there and keep this up. A bit like Rotherham, really. Are they going to be able to go the distance in terms of fighting this top end of the table? Not convinced, with, but with it's Reading, the championship. They've got a minus four goal difference sat in third. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, it, it just... <laughs> It's really strange. Obviously, them batterings that they suffered. Obviously, at Sheffield United, they got humiliated um, at home by Sunderland not so long ago. So, you know, they have got it in them to um, Rotherham as well. Let's not forget that 4-0 uh, disaster there with the Joe Lumley episode. So, it has been weird. But at the same time, they have looked quite good at times. It's weird. Obviously, Paul Ince, for me, I remember saying at the end of last season that he would be the first manager sacked this season. I couldn't have been proven any more wrong. So it's good to see them fighting up there because Reading, the fans have been through a fair bit of turgid turmoil in the last few years. And, you know, historically, we are used to seeing Reading at the top end of the league, aren't we? They, they've been, obviously, in the Premier League quite a few times in recent years. So good to see them competing up there. Personally, don't think they will last it, as, as harsh as that might sound, based on what they've achieved so far. And probably deep down, Reading, Reading fans probably believe that as well. So in terms of the top four, I would expect three of them to remain in that sort of area for the season. Just can't see Reading maintain it. Then just lastly, I think you've got to give credit to Sunderland as well. Really good start. Obviously lost Alex Neal. Tony Mowbray's come in, had a had a pretty good start really, considering I think he's only had one game at home so far. And, you know, they, they, they've, they've looked really good. They've looked vibrant. They've looked positive. They've adapted with ease. Once they get Ross Stewart back fit and banging the goals in again, they're going to be an even better side. So Sunderland, for me... Their season could go either way at this stage, but to be fifth after 10 games, after so long, obviously in League One, they could be more than pleased with the start they've made. They've looked really, really good. Yeah, when I look at sort of the top 10, top 12, and who who do I think might kick on in this next batch of 10 games or so, I think Burnley are the ones that for me, I think can push the closest to the top two. I said, you know, I did quite a bit on Burnley last week, so I won't repeat There's myself. There's definitely more to come from I, them, 100%. I think personally, if you put a gun to my head right now, I think Sheffield United and Burnley are probably the most likely to finish in the top two right now. 
and that might be a little bit bold, although there's only three points between Norwich and Burnley. Oh. I think there's more to come from Burnley. And I think in the next 10 games, I think we'll definitely see them closer to the top two than further away, which they are now. I can't disagree with that. I really can't. Like I've said, I just think Burnley, there's so much more to come. They've obviously got Scott Twine to come back and he was arguably their statement sign of the summer. Jay Rodriguez is scoring goals. So, yeah, I, I think, to be fair, I think you could be right that Blades-Burnley, I think, could be the, the two to watch because even though it's looking quite competitive in terms of how tight it is, I don't think there's really anybody that's looked that amazingly good or consistent so far. Have, apart from Sheffield. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I mean, apart from like oh, Blades sorry. and Burnley sort of thing. Because yeah. I don't, it's like Watford, for instance. We've seen flashes, but nothing in terms of consistency. Yeah, and when I look sort of look at the rest of that sort of top 10, top 12, who do I think could certainly be two or three places higher than they are currently in, after 20 games? I think... I think QPR are not in a bad spot to say that they're they're still adapting to a new style. I think they've just got to keep Chris Willock fit. I think this Burnley yeah. team without Chris Willock is bang average. I think it's a mid-table side between 12th and 15th or 10th and 15th. I think you put Chris Willock fit for 40 games, 35 games plus. I think it could push on the, knock on the door of the top six, personally. And they're they a different animal when right he plays. Yeah, they, they are a different animal, and, and are, I mean, just still adapting to, to I think, McBeal coming you know, in. You know, if Chris Willock could stay fit, and like you say, if you got forty games out of him, he, by the wider conception of championship supporters of championship clubs, I think they would recognise him as arguably one of the very, very best players in the league. Obviously, QPR fans see him week in, week out, so I think they know that. But in the wider scheme of things, they would notice it. And I think the fact that you know he's played seven games so far this season, Chris Willock, he's missed three. QPR haven't won any of those games that he's missed. You can say it's a coincidence, but is it really? Because we know how influential he is, and he's got five goals in seven. He's, he's vital to them in the championship. Not reliance, probably not the the right word, but more influenced by one player than QPR and Chris Willock. I'm not sure many spring immediately. Probably to mind. Not, nothing. Nothing come to mind in where you think of he's the you know, the main man that is going to make everything tick. I just think, you know... It doesn't necessarily need to be, but they've got other players that are perfectly exactly, capable, like, Ilya, Chair, Ilya's like Robert's Chair, Paul. Yeah. But you look at the numbers and it says QPR he's, drop off massively without Chris Willock in their team. They do. His numbers are terrific. And I, I seem to remember last season, certainly the first half of the season, I remember doing a tweet on our account about it, about how much better Hull City were when George Honeyman played mm. than when they were without him after he returned from his injury. Yeah, I and I think with Willock, Willock, it's the same. I mean, last, obviously, he missed the end of last season with an injury. He got seven goals and 11 assists last season, 18 direct goal contributions in 35. You know, that's just under half. So, he is the main man that makes them tick, isn't he? Like, let's be honest. So, if they can keep him fit, I think QPR have got every chance of being in the playoff race. Because like I've said to you there a few minutes ago, even though it's quite tightly packed the league so far this season, there's not much distance between each team. I don't think there has been as much quality on show as there has been in recent years. I think anybody, you know, realistically, I think if you were to say Norwich, Burnley, Blades with the yeah. top three in any order or whatever, I think there's definitely three playoff places up for grabs this year that could go in any direction. I really do. I tend to agree, especially when you consider the fact that there's five points between uh, 5th and 22nd. It's crazy. It's right crazy, now. isn't it? And it's yeah, like, when you look at it... Of... Oh, go on. I was going to say, we did a bit of research on the, the pod this week on the Twitter page, if anyone didn't see. And um, this is the lowest... It's <laughs> oh, that's that you worked out. Yeah, it's the lowest it's been, the difference um, between 5th and, and 22nd after uh, 10 match days. It's only five points and it's the lowest it's been and it was like 14 points this time 10 years ago in the last 10 seasons. So it just shows that it's, it's decreased slowly, but like 14, then 10s, then 12. Last season was eight, which was the first double figures, uh, single figure, sorry, number, and then down to five. Uh, I'll be team. honest with you. I um, I spoke to a journalist who covers a lot of championship teams quite regularly for radio mid-August, and he said to me, the championship this year, it looks the weakest it's been in terms of quality for quite a long time. And, you know, with that, with those points gaps, does it suggest that? I think the fact that, like you said, Reading a third, Rotherham are eighth, Watford down in tenth, 
obviously West Brom, Middlesbrough, 21st, 22nd. The, the margins are as fine as they've it ever been. It makes you they? wonder. Oh, they are, without a doubt. The fact that Huddersfield are 23rd and on seven points, but yet they're only eight points off the playoffs. Why do you think that is? Is mad. I think you could Bloody point hell. to the that's fact a, that's that... That's a question, isn't it? Post-Covid, how many teams actually spend any money? So maybe it's levelled out a little bit more, apart from Possibly. the teams that either come down from the Premier League and keep their best players or that have spent the money in parachute payments. I think... You know, I think the standard of management in the championship generally is is higher than it was ten years ago. I don't think there's many managers that don't that you wouldn't class as championship managers in championship jobs. So I think that maybe the little edges that some clubs got, everyone's doing, or it's even now. And I also think that post COVID, less money's being spent across the division, and it's who can get the best loan deals, apart from three to four clubs every year. And even that doesn't mean yeah. anything where West Brom is at. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I think, obviously, you when we did our pre-season predictions, as when anybody does them, there's always five or six clubs that you think of the, the top-end championship clubs that you would expect to compete, such as your West Broms, your Norwiches, your Burnleys. But the teams that you know have been consistently in the championship for several seasons, such as Preston, Birmingham, Cardiff, Millwall, Stoke... You know, they're the sort of teams where we don't really every year say, for instance, back them to to push for the top two. And that's always swayed by the financial clout of the others. But in a season that's proven so tight, could it be long before those can possibly bridge the gap with the way the market has been in the last few years? Because we haven't seen as much spending throughout the championship as we have in recent years. So I think, you know, could it be an opportunity for the league to become more of a level playing field at the minute? The, the league, you know, it is tight. I mean, the the biggest points gap, I think, between anybody is is four points between Huddersfield and Coventry in 23rd and 24th. And Coventry have, have played only seven games so far, which explains that one. So is it becoming more of a level playing field? For us as neutrals, obviously, if you're new to the podcast, neither of us support a championship club currently. Is it, for us, becoming more an exciting league to, to analyse and discuss and, and look it's at? It, it's making it I hard, think it is. <laughs> it's making it harder and harder to predict every weekend. But, you know, a level, a level playing field is something that, you know, we have wanted for a while. Not just in the Championship, but throughout English football. Obviously, money has, has obviously dominated this sport now for years and years and years, and it will continue to do so. But at the minute... Are we going to finally see a season where somebody who we least expect to do something are going to do something? Because I know it's 10 games and it's still early in the season, but we always generally tend to say 10 games is a point where you can analyse and weigh up how a team's season is going to go. So should we be, say, looking at well, Reading and say Huddersfield, they can be playoff contenders? We did. We did. That's the thing. We did see them to do it and nobody predicted that. So... You know, 10 games in, we're still early doors. We're not even at the end of September yet. But I think it's shaping up to be, you know, not the best season in terms of quality, perhaps, but in terms of unpredictability and we're not sure what we're going to get, I think it could be quite a good season in that regard, certainly for neutrals of the league. I agree. Uh, we'll look at the bottom of the table in a sec. One more team I would chuck in that I think will be a couple of places higher. After 20 games, it is Luton Town, I think. A lot of those yeah. draws, particularly They're beginning to wake up, aren't they? I think the draws at, at home in particular could be wins and probably will be turned into wins after the, getting one over Blackburn just before the international break. So I, I think they could be a couple of places higher when we look again after 20 games too. Looking at the bottom of the table, George, obviously some teams we very much didn't expect to be down there in Coventry, um, Middlesbrough, West Brom, Huddersfield to a certain extent, albeit not the same as the other three. Um, and then some that we personally expected, like Cardiff, Birmingham, Blackpool, Hull. I know quite a lot of people fancied Hull pre-season, but I had them in 19th. I think you didn't have them that dissimilar because of reservations Ooh, over... Uh, yeah, because of reservations over Shotter Abdeladzi. So the bottom of the table certainly makes interesting reading, doesn't it? I had Hull in 18th place. That's where I was. people thought they'd be top 10. I wasn't convinced. No, neither of us were. Yeah, so, I mean, looking at the bottom of the table currently, I mean, obviously, you've got three teams in the bottom three at the minute that you would not have predicted. 
after last season, even though we did anticipate a drop-off for Huddersfield, but not quite so significantly as it has been. Obviously, we've not even mentioned them yet in this episode. Obviously, still on the hunt for Danny Schofield's replacement. Nothing done with that yet. But Coventry, even though obviously three points in the first seven games is, is not great, you've got to factor in that they've only played once at home so far. That that has taken its toll. To play six of your first seven away, that that is that is and difficult. They were never so it should. At, they weren't great at home last, uh, away from home last season, were they? And you would like to think over the course of the season that will balance itself out and they will improve because, to their credit, in the last couple of games they've drawn at Luton and drawn at Birmingham. And I saw quite a few Birmingham fans say in the first half they they were very very good and they will definitely not go down. And I stick by that. I don't think Coventry will go down. They've got a lot of good players there. Jokeres is still there. Callum O'Hare. Matty Godden's a good source of goals. not kicked the ball, should be fit after the international break. That's what I mean. They're going to improve. They're going to get better. Jokeres will get back amongst the goals regularly. Gustavo Hamer obviously got sent off last week, so he's got a suspension to serve. But we know what a player he is. He's got a brilliant goal at Luton a few days before that red card at Birmingham. But as for the others down there, obviously Huddersfield, changing manager, they're always going to drop off. We've covered that a little bit. But Middlesbrough and West Brom, I mean, they were my top two. Quite embarrassing. <laughs> I'll look back, <laughs> look back at that now, isn't it? Ten games in, won three games of the first twenty between them. <laughs> but no, I mean, let's be honest. West Brom, the performances have been a lot better than the results have suggested. I agree. They really, they really have. I've seen West Brom probably about three or four times so far this season, and the game against Watford, which I think was their second game. I thought they were absolutely superb. They battered Watford on the night. They were really unfortunate not to win that game. So I do think that the results will come. And it's it's always a cliche that results follow performances. And I know West Brom fans are growing frustrated with Steve Bruce, which is understandable for the position they're in. But I do think it will get better. Middlesbrough, the same. And again, I only said it a couple of weeks ago. I went for Middlesbrough, I think, in second place. I did that because of the manager opposed to the squad because we've always associated Chris Wilder as one of the very best managers outside the Premier League and this is the first time in his career certainly in the EFL that he's had a bad run and it's an unusual situation for him because obviously we've been so used to him it's thriving and winning a bad things. run though isn't it George because if it is because the end of last season wasn't great the end of last season, it wasn't last, great maybe 10 games is a little bit too long but certainly the last 6 to 8 well, games last to, season yeah was a very bad run and they, they, they chucked it away, really, if we're being honest. I remember them winning 4-0 away at Peterborough and I said on this podcast that they're back in the top six and I don't expect them to drop out. And I think that was around yeah. Easter, yeah. so there was probably six games or so to go, eight games to go. So, and they've been crap ever since. And including <laughs> the start it is, of this mate. season. I, would. I don't understand with Middlesbrough as much as West Brom because I look at West Brom and I think they are... Their problem last season, they couldn't create chances. They're now creating chances. They should do. They've got Swift and Wallace. They are missing chances by the bucket load. And their underlying data and their numbers suggest that this is just unsustainable, this level of inconsistency in front of yeah. goal. I don't really get Middlesbrough because the things that made them so good were their defensive structure, their home form, and you still thought they were missing a striker. Now, they've had all that in pre-season. Like the only players they missed were the strikers. So why have they suddenly become a team that can't defend and have got no structure off out, know, of, the, is, out it, of possession? I don't understand where that's come from. The home form has massively dropped off too. I did some numbers probably a fortnight ago where I think they won eight of their first 10 home games under Chris Wilder and they won five of their last 11, probably 12 now since they drew with Rotherham. So that's a big drop off as well. So the bits that are not going right for Middlesbrough, a bits they were doing right before, and there's not been any reason for that because they've still got the same personnel. They've actually strengthened by signing Matt Clark and Daryl Lenehan. Obviously, they've had some issues with the goalkeeping still because Zach Steffen's not exactly had the best 10 games and, and then he was injured as well. So it's just not quite right there. And I can't put my no. finger on what it is as, as much as I can in West Brom. No, I'm not. And I've just had a look at the Middlesbrough numbers, actually. And you were saying about that 4-0 win at Peterborough. And it, it was around the Easter period. It was the 2nd of April. They played another eight games after that. And to paint a picture of how that went and how the start of this season's gone, they've only won four of their last 18 league games. And that, you know, for a Chris Wilder team, it's it is poor. Form. 
it's really poor. And it is a situation, like I said a couple of minutes ago, Chris Wilder is a manager that we are not necessarily used to struggling. He, he obviously enjoyed success at Oxford United. He enjoyed it at Sheffield United. And we expected that to happen at Middlesbrough, not necessarily maybe instantly, but now he'd had a full summer under his belt. We, we did anticipate it. And yes, you can question whether he got the right strikers through the door. But like you said, defensively, things have started to wobble in the last, wobble in the last few weeks. Yeah. And it, it, it is unusual because like, like I've looked at there, you look at their recruitment over the summer, they brought in, you know, established championship centre-halves in Darrell Lenihan and Matthew Clark by, you know, by their own admission, two very good signings at this level. So it is unusual that things have, have been so poor at the back. Stefan on paper, brilliant signing. You know, he, he's done OK when he's played for Manchester City in the past, when, when he's filled in for Edison. So I just don't quite understand what's quite going wrong because even though the squad, you know... <sighs> It's not one, like I said, if I if I was backing it purely on squads, I would not have gone for Middlesbrough for top two. But I looked at Chris Wilder and I thought, he's a manager that's always, always got the very best out of what he's got. He's improved players all the time. And for whatever reason, it's just not happening. They get to win away from home this season. That is a real worry. And for Borough, I mean... the problem last year, the away form, the, which the question so is strain on the home form. The question what I think for Middlesbrough is, Bearing in mind now they've not won a they've only won two away games this year in the league. This calendar year. They've only won twice in the no league away. Team that's gonna get promoted is gonna get away with that record. No chance. So I think the question for Middlesbrough is looking at the post international break, obviously the season resumes this coming weekend. I think the question is that Steve Gibson, the Middlesbrough owner, will be asking himself is how long do I give Chris Wilder to turn things around? Because the fans' expectancy has risen dramatically this year. How long do I put up with it if the problem persists? Because everybody, I would imagine, thinks things can only get better, which I would imagine they will, but it's how quickly. I look at their next run of games. They've got Coventry away, Birmingham at home, Millwall away, Blackburn at home. I think, that you know, be, I think that's a pretty good run to define. That's a good, op- None of those that's a good opportunity. That's a good opportunity. You'd probably say the hardest one of that lot is probably Millwall away. With Obviously, yeah. we know what Millwall are like at the Den. So, yeah, it could, it could be a make-or-break period that defines Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough career. And the realistic thing is, for Borough, even though it might not be showing at the minute, is if they were to sack Chris Wilder, if they did, not saying they will, who would they turn to? Because realistically, when he got the job last year, we all looked at him and thought they couldn't have got a better manager at this level. Who would they turn to in this situation? That's the thing. Would they really be replacing him with anybody better? But like you said, this extends from last season. There's been a bit of a hangover. So it's not as if it's just this year. Four wins in 18. It is, like you said, it's relegation form and it's got to be arrested really, really quickly. Otherwise, I think he could be in line for the chop. So for me, Middlesbrough, after the international break, I think it's them and West Brom that are facing by far and away the biggest period. They have got to come out and hit the ground running and really, really hard as well. I'll throw Hull City into that mix because I, I think he's he's definitely on a sticky wicket, wicket uh, shot to have the lads. Given the he is. The, the money that was spent in the summer, the ambition. I don't think as much as the other two. I, I will tell you now, shot. I think shot at the lads is a more... He's a better bet to get sacked before Chris Wilder does, no matter what the results are well, in the next ten games. I think so. They they have obviously they've spent quite a you know quite the a lavish amount of money. keeps coming out summer. and saying he expects them to be challenging for the playoffs and the sat nineteenth and spent money. Like I said after that defeat to Swansea last week, they brought in a large pool of new players, the majority of which were from foreign leagues. They need time to adapt. They need time to sell. You're never going to get that instantly with players from abroad where they're just going to come in. And, you know, we look, we look at certain players that have come to the Championship in the past and, you know, they've flourished abroad, scored a lot of goals, things like that. The thing is, the English game is a lot more physical. It's a lot more demanding. It's a lot more relentless. And it has the ability to surprise quite a few. And for Hull, like me and you did, I think we went 18th and 19th in our respective predictions. They're 20th at the minute. So to me, it would suggest that me and you were thinking a lot more logically than say other people who were expecting the top six. Well, I never once saying looked at that, that after ten games. It's a long way to go. Never, before I start never once, never once looked at that team and I thought that's going to be playoff contenders. They had a good I start. Agree. Don't be wrong. They had a decent start. They did. 
We took eight points from the first four games, you know, beat Norwich, got a good respectable away point at Burnley. But since then, and after the, you know, the defending that was on show at Swansea, absolutely horrific. So for them, you could argue the international break came at just the right time to stop the rot. So like Middlesbrough, like West Brom, even though obviously the expectation, certainly in my opinion, shouldn't have been as high as those two clubs at the start of the season. They've got to come out firing after the break, hit the ground running. And they've really got to try and make amends because if they were to, you know, be sucked into a relegation battle this year, that, that could spell big problems in the long run with the money they've spent. If you flip the question that we were doing on, on the top half of the table, who are the, who are the teams that you think will be worse off in 10 games' time compared to where they are now? I would pick out Blackpool, who have 11 points after 10 games and sit 19th. I think the loss of Josh Bowler, I just think they look a very ordinary team, especially offensively right now. I think Appleton's a decent manager for the level. I think they've got some good results, probably a couple of, of decent away wins that I probably wouldn't have anticipated them getting at, at um, QPR and at Huddersfield. In fact, they've won two of their three games this season on the road. But I just think that, that when I look at the squad, I think they've got probably one of the bottom three squads. And I think they've got a manager that's probably not in the bottom three for managers. But is he high enough, high up enough compared to that to get them out of it? I'm not convinced. So I, th- I think they would be one I will say that I expect to be further down the table in, in 10 games' time. And maybe maybe Cardiff City, just because I don't understand the Steve Morrison sacking and I don't know where... I don't know who's going to come in. Like, you look at who's been linked and Mark Hudson looks like he's going to get a run. Is he a better fit than Steve Morrison? Now, I'm not a Cardiff <laughs> expert. I don't claim to be. But from what I can see, I don't see why he's a better bet to take Cardiff further up the table than... Steve Morrison was, and let's not forget again, we both had Cardiff in and around this sort of position. I think 18th was actually where I had them, which is exactly where they are. I don't 17th know. 17th for me. There was there's so, no there's exactly no other managers same, really. currently being linked with that role or out there that I think is going to come in and drastically I... change that. So I think losing that stability makes me think that maybe they're probably a decent bet to probably slide rather than go up the table. Depends who they bring in, but those are two clubs for me, George, that I think probably will be lower than they are this time in 10 games. What about you? Well, I think it's difficult. It really is certainly like with Cardiff, Huddersfield, because obviously the managerial situations are obviously still ongoing with that. For me, Cardiff, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I think that out of all the candidates that are currently without a club, I, I think Lee Bowyer would possibly be the best shout. I don't think he'd be the worst in the world. You know, he did a, you know, he did an okay job at Birmingham, I thought, in the circumstances. And had he got, you know, obviously, the correct owners in position, I think he would have done a lot better than he actually did. So I don't think Bowyer would be a bad shout for Cardiff. I agree with you completely on Blackpool. Michael Appleton, he's a, he's a strange manager. Very similar to Lee Johnson. He can have great runs and then really, really torrid ones. Like, for instance, at Lincoln, he did a really good job. Oxford, he did an OK job. Then at other clubs he's been at, it's just totally fault of Blackburn being one of them. So it's really difficult. So I think Blackpool will be on the slide. Like you said, Josh Bowler, he was the most creative spark. And they've lost their two best assets in the last few months, the manager and then the star player. So it's understandable. I mean, in terms of teams that I think will be on the slide, I'm just, I'm still in two minds about Birmingham. Even though they have turned it on recently, they've been better. I mean, that win at West Brom was impressive. They win at Preston as well, but I'm just not convinced that they've got the firepower to do it week in, week out. I think and the sustain squad looks that looks stronger now, certainly. It does look better. When we, when we made our pre-season but predictions, if they can keep being I just don't fit. think... I'm just not sure. I hope, I hope I'm wrong, because the Birmingham fans, they deserve something to cheer about. Because obviously they've had to put up with relegation battle after relegation battle, turmoil off the pitch. So they, if they're one set of supporters in this league, deserve something good, it's them. They really do need something to smile about. But you're saying about teams that could be on the decline in the next 10 games... And I hate to say it because they've been so good so far, but I look at the situation and what could happen. But I have to say Rotherham. I just can't see them sustaining it now that Paul Warner's gone. And it depends, obviously, how quickly they get the replacement in, who it is. I could be proven totally wrong with this one. It is a bit of a shot in the dark, really. But I just can't see them maintaining this sort of pressure that they've gone so far. But, I mean, one defeat in nine... Wow, if they, if they were to lose the next four, for instance, 
if they'd lost five of their first 14 games, the fans would have snapped their hands off at that, probably. Definitely. So I think, you know, if a little bit of, you know, a few bumps in the road are going to come in the next few weeks, I think Rotherham fans will accept it, even though they're going to be hurt by the exit of Paul Warren. They are. He was, he was a club legend. He was Mr. Rotherham United. I mean, you couldn't have found a better fit player, uh, club for manager. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to them. In terms of the ones that I think the, the most interesting one where they really have got to start and improve rapidly is Preston North End. They do got to find a way to score a goal. I think they're England in disguise at the minute. Did you it's... see Troy Parrott's miss yesterday as well for uh, for Republic of Ireland? It's not getting any better. I can't say I have. I've not seen it. Oh. Was it a bit of a sitter? Not a sitter, but it was just a player bereft of confidence. Quick counter-attack, Obafemi absolutely eating up the ground on the counter, squared it to him and just a confident player takes a touch and slots it into the bottom corner and it, it was just a big chance wasted and it will play on his mind. Yeah. It's certainly not going to help him. I'm sure it will. They've got to improve, haven't they, Preston? They've got to find a way to you know, go up through the gears. But I just think, like we've said, it's so tightly condensed at the minute. Anything could happen. I think the next, you know, the run from here now to the World Cup starting in November will be, you know, a really important period for every single team. That's where, not saying a season could be won or lost, but I think it's where a season could be made for, for what it's going to be. So, big period coming up for, for every team, really. Obviously, it's so tight. Everybody's still got, you know, absolutely everything in the wildest dreams to play for, really. So, it's going to be interesting, as I say, as neutrals, we, we can look forward to it and look at it and think, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting few weeks. But I think the clubs that have got to come out of the international break and hit the ground running most, You've got to look at Hull, West Brom, Middlesbrough, at Huddersfield as well. They're the ones, but I think particularly West Brom and Middlesbrough, obviously so much pre-season expectation. If they don't turn things around quickly, I think both Steve Bruce and Chris Wilder could, could be in big trouble. I think that's a good place to leave it. I hope you've enjoyed this week's pod where we've had an opportunity to zoom out um, in what's been a, a hectic and busy schedule and start to the Championship season. But good opportunity to pause, reflect, and with 10 games gone, some analysis on, on where we think things stand, as well as, of course, the situations at Rotherham United, Cardiff City and Huddersfield Town as they all look to appoint new managers in the next week or so. If you are enjoying this podcast, please make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your pods from. You can get the latest episode from us every single week, usually on a Monday morning. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChamChatPod24. A huge thanks again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.